Hello, this is Eddie Aldrete. A special note before we get started. This podcast is recorded in a studio located at Lano Realty Partners in San Antonio, and we'd like to thank them for making this possible. And a special thanks to their co-founder and partner, Adam Blanchard. Lano Realty Partners is a full-service commercial real estate firm providing brokerage, property management, development, and management services for commercial properties across the state of Texas. For more information, go to lanorealty.com. That's L-L-A-N-O realty.com. And now it's time for our new episode. But really, the most important thing is, you know, when you go sign a lease, the, the landlord wants to talk about your security deposit. Landlord wants to talk about your credit history. Well, how about his? Right now, we are in that world. Nobody is going to tell you. I mean, they, you see this big, beautiful building, but he's not going to tell you that he's 18 months away from crashing and burning. And having this building is going to have to go back to a special servicer. So what does that mean to my services here? You said you were going to do X. Well, you may not even be here. You're describing the upside down in Stranger Things. That's what this is. It, it's it, exactly. It's when the tenants are going to have to look at the financial health of the landlord. And we are there. It seems the pandemic-induced work-from-home phenomenon gave many employees more time with their family, pets, friends, and neighbors, and gave people a sample into what life was like without a commute, their annoying coworker, and without their boss walking by to check on their productivity. But once the pandemic ended, that set up a showdown between employers who wanted their employees back in the office and employees who wanted to keep working from home. With that in mind, we plan to delve into the question of what's an employer to do? What might a job seeker expect? Where's the fairness? And what does the office of the future look like? Joining me today to provide some perspective on these questions and more are Leanne King, a seasoned human resource professional who's been in the field for more than 30 years and today serves as the CEO and founder of Seeking HR, a full-service human resource consulting firm. Ana Maria Sueskin-Fast, the CEO and owner of Talk Strategy, a full-service independent communications agency that integrates marketing, advertising, crisis communications, digital media, and more. And Larry Mendez, the first vice president with CBRE San Antonio. CBRE is the largest commercial real estate brokerage firm in the United States. And Mendez is a 20-year veteran in the commercial real estate space and has recently transitioned from representing landlords to representing tenants. Thank you all for joining and welcome. Thank Thanks you. for having us. So Leanne, I'm going to start with you. If an alien were to land on this planet, how would you describe the pre-pandemic office versus the post-pandemic office? The uh, pre-pandemic office was probably one of great collaboration. People were looking for rapport. They were looking for friendships. They were looking for opportunities to develop and grow. And I think today in the post-pandemic office environment, it tends to be more individualistic and a little bit more about what's in it for me and how do I move forward in that organization. Tell me about the current mindset of employees and what they are seeking today, because you've seen a huge shift and a huge balance, uh, balance of power, I should say. It's interesting today you see employees that are 
believing in some respect that they have um, one over on an employer. But the fact of the matter is, people still have to pay their rent, people still have to buy food, and they have to take care of their families. And that money, that income comes from somewhere. So at some point, there has to become a balance of what the employee really wants and needs versus what employers are willing to offer. So they shouldn't overplay their hand. I don't believe they should be overplaying their hand at all. Okay. Ana Maria, you own and operate a small business. Tell me about the transition you went through. First of all, I want to ask you about two transitions. One is the size of your office space, the square footage, versus how did you manage your employees' expectations during COVID and, and as you began to people have people come back to the office? So, gosh, it's been quite the transition that honestly continues to evolve every single day. I don't believe that there's a finality to what the new space for employers, especially for a small business, is. So we went from a downtown office of about more than 6,000 square feet to when the pandemic happened and we came back two years later, we went 100% remote for two years. So when we came back, We really had to do a lot of talking, have conversations, and really think about how people work because we no longer needed 6,000 square feet. But before people came back and before the pandemic, you began a transition from everyone having their own designated office space. We did. So we actually thought long and hard as like, how do we come back in this new space? And so we actually did a couple of tests. We said, you know what? Nobody needs a space anymore, a personal office. And we did a test where we did a remote situation, but in the office space. So we gave up, everybody gave up their office. We did like the hotel, you know, you plug in at different suites. Um, We created a space where there was a collaboration and a huge table. But we also had offices that had their own screens just to see and watch how people interacted how people collaborated, how people communicated. And frankly, we watched to see how they used their spaces. So we had 6,000 square feet, but what we noticed was everyone stayed within a certain area. Nobody used the conference rooms. Nobody used their own spaces with their screens. Nobody went to the collaborations room. They did everything in a very contained space. So with that intel, we also did um, a survey to the to the employees, an anonymous survey, and asked them a variety of different questions. Well, how did they prefer to work? Do they want it to be in the office one days to two days to three days to four days to no days? We also tested one day to two days to three days to see what worked best with folks. So we did a lot of testing, a lot of discussion, a lot of surveys to determine where we are right now. I'm just curious. You had in the middle of your office that long communal table. We did. So when people were sitting at that table, were were they sitting there just to be near somebody or were they sitting to be collaborative because they were working on projects together? A little bit of both. Okay. Either they didn't talk to each other and they were working. Some of them had headphones. They would take them off and then they would have conversation. They would have um, conversation. They would ask questions. They would put back their earphones, uh, headphones. Um, I would work. I didn't need an office myself. I would work from a conference room or I would sit with them just so that I could hear, collaborate, have conversation with them too, be a part of brainstorming 
Um, so it was a really interesting test in how everybody wanted to work together. So, Larry, you are with the largest commercial real estate brokerage in the country. You also, CBRE, their policy on bringing people back in, they also went through a shift uh, where you don't necessarily have designated office space. No, no, that's exactly right, Eddie. We have um, what we call neighborhoods. We're in 25,000 feet. And we have a considerable amount of employees here, I think uh, a little over 200. Most of them are decentralized in a lot of the properties we manage. And so what we've done is uh, we've we've broken up our office into neighborhoods. So as you walk in, you'll have the industrial and investment sales neighborhood. Then you'll have a retail neighborhood. You have an office neighborhood. You'll have some administrative services. You'll have management, you'll have uh, surveys, valuations. And so everybody's in their neighborhood. So in in the office neighborhood, there is uh, approximately 12 spaces. Nobody's supposed to have an assigned spot. There's not an office on the entire floor, by the way. We're on the top floor at Oxbow right there at the Pearl. At the Pearl. Beautiful, brand new offices. And so um, we have a, a ton of, of meeting areas, Zoom rooms, collaboration rooms, co- collaboration areas. But basically, like Ana Maria said, we come in with a laptop and in theory, you kind of go to your, your neighborhood, plug in and go. Are people creatures of habit? Do they end up like going into the same little office area or same desk or table or chair? Yeah, old guys like me are, that's for sure. You know, I get there early and I leave late, and this is where I sit. And if you can beat me to this place, it's all yours. Leanne, I want want to go back to this notion of people feeling empowered, employees feeling empowered and wanting to negotiate. I mean, pre-pandemic, the country was reacting to these protests of people who were demanding $15 an hour wages post-pandemic. That's what a lot of the national banks were paying tellers just to start to get people back into the office. So has that wage pressure continued? The wage pressure has definitely continued, but in probably not in the way that you think. I think there was a lot of equalization that needed to happen. And while as an HR professional, we're going to recommend that you look at your salary and your wages that you pay your people at least every three years the pandemic sort of ebbed and flowed and allowed organizations to step back and say, what is fair and what is right and what is appropriate? So we've seen a real uptick in just the market studies, the requests for the data, and what what is fair in terms of compensation at, at all levels of all organizations. Larry, when you and I started this conversation a couple of months ago, when we were mapping out this whole topic and what it meant for San Antonio you shocked me with the percentage of your clients that were seeking less space than they currently have as they're renewing. You want to talk about that? Yeah, I mean, that's an incredibly significant stat right now. Out of 35 active deals we have, 33 are getting smaller. Um, And that ratio has been constant for the last two years. And so when you say they want less space than they currently have. 
if wherever they are now is considered to be 100%, what are they going down to? See, that's another great question. That's why you're sitting there. <laughs> the, uh, so the way I like to answer it is I break it into two different tenants. You have your local and regional tenants, and then you have your large national tenants and that are headquartered somewhere usually on a, you know, a coast and that have regional centers here in San Antonio. Those large national guys, they're shrinking dramatically, 70, 80, 90 percent. And just to give you an example, I'm working with a group right now that's 498,000 feet that will eventually get down to about 180, 620 to 360, 160,000 to 30, 142,000 to 30, uh, 60 down to 25. That's and, massive. And, and these are real world right now scenarios. And this is not limited to downtown San Antonio. This is all over. Actually, this is outside it. Well, one of those tenants are downtown. Uh, the rest of them are in the suburbs. They're usually larger, what we call either call centers or regional service centers for some of the larger financial institutions here in the, in the country. Okay. So, Ana Maria, you started out with, you said, 6,000 square feet. Where are you now? So we are at a shared office space, but have a dedicated space that's 900 square feet. Okay. So it was quite drastic. And we went down to one day a week in the office where everybody comes in and collaborates. And then throughout the week, everybody kind of comes and uses the space as needed. So we had to think about, do we even need space so we went from, well, let's just not renew our lease and have no space to, well, do we need a full-time space or do we just need a space for one day a week? What we opted to decide is we do need some kind of home base so that our team has place to go and collaborate. But we're in the office only one day a week. So during this process, you organically grew the, Which is to where the we are now, right? Yes. So I was, um, when we started... Uh, we were 15, now we're 16, we're hiring three more, we're going on 19. So as I look at the shared space that we have right now, 900 square feet is we are packed in a space that has a big open space and three smaller offices. So we've been watching how people are using this space. So as I'm trying to transition and trying to find what is my next step is, and I love the shared office concept. But what I'm learning as a small business, for me now, it's cost because I either am paying for $1,500 worth of space and only getting 900 square feet because I've got to share the things, right? Shared huddle spaces, cafeteria, or do I just need to pay for space? And what does that look like, right? Because I need more space, but then I start thinking about leases. I don't necessarily want to go back to a long-term lease because I want to be able to have the flexibility as I grow and as hybrid and remote options change and evolve. So I don't necessarily want to be locked in for a space that's only being used one day a week and a variety of different ways throughout the week. So for me, it becomes a cost analysis situation. And what is the best space for my team? Because they don't want to come into the office 
every day. They want to have that flexibility. And for us, it works magnificently. It really works extremely well. And I was an office gal. I was like, I need to be in the office Monday through Friday. I need to see your face nine to five. What do you mean you need to be remote from a coffee shop? I never got it until it happened. And We've evolved, we've adjusted, and it works magnificently for us. Now, you have one member of your team who has or had about an hour commute. We did. So we had to find, and I love downtown. I really love the space downtown, the vibe downtown. But we also had to look at, okay, what makes the most sense for people being very central? I I did have someone who was way far out, um, out on 35 and out on 1604. So where we found the 410 corridor to be ideal from a commute standpoint. I will say the challenge right now for us is to find ideal office space at the right price, at the right lease, because I I love the idea of a hip and cool vibe office space. But looking at cost, I'm looking at maybe a class B and the options are limited versus a really hip and cool spot at class A. So it's an interesting evolution of how do I look at space and what do I prioritize for the business, but for the team as well. Larry, is this, it sounds like this is something that's extremely common right now with all sorts of different businesses. They don't want to lock in a long-term lease necessarily. They need flexibility, especially at, a, at an agency your size. Yeah, I would say uh, most of those components, the flexibility part, for sure. Uh, and again, if I break apart these tenants into large, and I define large, let's call it north of 20,000 feet, um, and then south of 20,000 feet, large versus medium and national versus regional, um, I think the the flexibility is absolutely there. And with the larger uh, blue chip, Fortune 50, Fortune 100, and in some cases, Fortune 10 credit that we're dealing with, they absolutely want it all. You know, I, I sent an RFP to another broker and he called me and he, you know, was kind of complaining. I, well, what did you send me? You're asking me for the right to expand by 15%, the right to contract by 15%, the right to terminate yearly on a three-year transaction, which none of that really is uh, normal, I would say. And so the ability to right-size is uh, certainly top of the mind right now for for clients as they look and evaluate uh, office space. Leanne, what does this do to the average employee who is used to commuting and then used to working from home? And then now being in a hybrid situation, but then possibly having to move office space again, what does that do for either mindset or morale? What are the challenges that employers and employees face? I think the uncertainty certainly um, wreaks havoc with some of the employees. You know, they, they look at that same, same question. Is it a three-year lease? Am I locked in for three years if I really love this employer? What if they, what if they move and go outside 1604? And then what's my commute going to look like? And so, yeah, those, those questions certainly are daily conversations with some employees and, and others. It's we're grounded. We know where we are. We know where we're going to stay. We're going we're gonna to remain in, you know, inside the circle or we're going to remain downtown. And, and that's, that's our place. And so employees have some sense of comfort with that. But 
I think employees are still also trying to just figure out what's going to work for them. There was so much individual sort of motivation in figuring out who they were and what their families needed. And that dynamic really shifted from an employee perspective. So there's a lot more focus internally on what's going to make me happy, what's going to make my family happy. And sometimes it's to heck with the employer, I got to do for me. What is the most common question that you get asked by your clients in in this sort of space, uh, management, employee expectation type sphere? Most employers say, what's everybody else doing, right? Okay. They want to <laughs> yeah. do the survey, which, you know, I have to applaud Anna Maria for that because that was genius in running those different scenarios to figure out what the space utilization was really like because you can measure off productivity. You can make a business case that's understandable for your employees. They have buy-in because they were part of the process. Like, that's that's the way to do it. I think that is key. And, Eddie, I remember when this happened, you and I were sharing articles multiple articles every day, and we would have comments about them. It's like, well, this is different for everybody. This is not a one-size-fits-all situation. And for me, the team is priority one. So they have to have buy-in. Everybody has a different situation in this post-pandemic world, whether it's children, whether it's aging parents, whatever it is, everybody needs the opportunity to have that flexibility and that space where we know work needs to get done. Clients are highly demanding. We have to be available. We have to be accountable, but we have to be flexible in helping provide everybody an opportunity to figure out what is the best space. And they have to have that buy-in. We can't do it from the top down. So for us, and we continue to have that dialogue. We're having it now as we look at, well, how big is the space? Where are we going to be in three years? And they're part of that conversation because my hope is that they have buy-in in my company and they are looking to help us grow because if we grow, they grow. So it is a continual daily conversation that we have and what if scenarios every day because honestly, every day is changing. Pre-pandemic, it seemed like some of the big, especially in the tech sector, um, some of the big companies were putting in juice bars and yoga rooms and all these benefits to attract employees. So this is really a question for all three of you. But Larry, I'll start with you. Are these new features being put in buildings? Are buildings being retrofitted for some of these things to both attract the tenant who then needs to turn around and attract the employee? Absolutely. Absolutely. We're seeing it across the board. You're seeing a migration to Class A buildings. Um, you're seeing a preference to Class A amenities. And in my experience, I'd, I'd say eight out of 10 CEOs want their people back. I know there's been some articles uh, about SWVC retrofitting their building uh, to be able to accommodate certain amenities. Yeah, they're they're kind of a unicorn because not only do they employ about thirty eight hundred people, but they all, they're also a landlord. So they they have a building that is f- for lease, and so that's a great uh, example of how that amenity base will help not just the landlord but the tenant. Ana Maria, do you see? You know, have you had to change over the years things to keep your employees? 
Yes. And for us, it's, you know, I was going to make a comment to what you just said. I would love Class A space for Class B prices because it's very (laughs) hard for a small business. You know, I'm looking for that space that have nice views, natural light, that is inspirational, inspires. Um, So I try to find that space. Uh, So that's what I'm looking for. But I do have to think about what entices our team to be in the office. Again, we're in the office one day a week, and they use the space differently. I will say this remote hybrid space for us as an agency has allowed us to be more out in the community, actually in the offices of our clients, more face-to-face with our clients, because we don't feel like we have to be in an office working, but that works for our industry. So I feel like this new space that we're creating has further um, given light to or emphasized the need to be out of your office, getting engaged in the community, interacting with our clients outside of just computers and phones, which is interesting, and allowing them to work from home. Um, they can create their own schedules and be that flexible with our clients. So it really is working well for us. So tr- trying to find out how does office space really work in our hybrid world? Leanne, one of the biggest complaints that employers had uh, when the remote work phenomenon started was, how does the younger worker, the worker that's been in the workforce the smallest amount of time, learn from the more experienced workers through osmosis, through going to grab lunch together, uh, bumping into each other at the water cooler, and working on projects together side by side? where you have these natural conversations that are not scheduled virtual meetings. How does all that change? That dynamic has completely changed, and it's, um, it's sad um, in some cases because businesses that allowed or were able to have everyone go remote, um, I think that specific group of individuals, they, they suffered a little bit in learning office communication and office etiquette and I heard an article, you know, a story this morning just about the new slang of the new generation. I'm thinking, I don't even know what they're talking about. And, and, I, and I never went home. I mean, my office stayed open the entire time. And, and we were cautioned about being present and not going away. So we didn't. And now as we face this same situation that Ana Maria is in of looking for space and looking for a lease, how does that um, how does that impact our new workforce of people that have never had this opportunity for hybrid or or being away from the office or only being in there part time? Um, it's it's really, really different. And to, to add to that, for example, which is a conversation that we're having on the executive team side is our internship program. How do we bring back a viable oh, yeah. internship program to give experience? So I think the onus really is on us as business owners to ensure that we're doing things to, you know, weekly one-on-ones. Um, we have a wonderful gentleman in our office who does via Slack, you know, the water cooler, and he asks these questions and we all kind of chime in. So the team has engaged in creating camaraderie and collaboration through the tools that we have established for the office, but we do have to look every day and ensure that we're thinking of new ways to engage the young group to help bring them up 
teach them, to mentor them. So we definitely prioritize that and always try to think about meet them at the office, meet them for one-on-ones, not on a phone call. So there are a variety of different ways to utilize office space in that way. Well, and and let me tell you, that's where the CEOs are having um, the biggest discussion. And right now, again, I'm not in the labor force, or I am in the labor force. (laughs) Differently. (laughs) But uh, I'm not an expert in the subject. I deal with it every day. You know, eight months ago, I I believe the pendulum was about pegged. It could not be any more of an employee's market. I think it has moved since then, but it's still far from equilibrium. And, and I, I think that it's these things. And again, depending on the size of your company, if you have 20 people, people are going to hide. People are going to not necessarily physically try to hide from something. They just get passed by. And unless you have somebody, now you have to add three employees to make sure that all your employees are being touched. And, and so the way you do that is organically. The way that happens is in, in a social and in, in, in an office environment where they, where they interact, and iron sharpens iron, and, and the competition and, and, and things like that don't exist virtually. Culture cannot be built virtually. And I've heard that repeated to me by one, two, three, four you know, different business owners, significant-sized business owners. And I think what, what I'm saying here is that the larger, and the larger the business is, the more employees – the challenges become much more difficult to be able to sustain those relationships and to train. And, and, and without getting too specific, uh, I will say I have some engineering clients, and they are across the board have been incredibly concerned with their 25 to 33, 34-year-old younger engineers because they're just not sitting next to the gray hair. And and they're not they're not absorbing they're not learning they're not seeing and they're not they're a little more isolated they're much a, a little more yeah. you're at home you, you're well, you're isolated well and to counter that a little bit I I think it is then it's more important now as the leadership of any business and I agree with you the larger it gets the more complex it gets and as I look to grow to twenty to twenty five people. Every day is a conversation of how do we ensure that the people we're bringing in are onboarded. Every day we bring them together, the leadership team, account teams. Like it is an everyday goal to ensure that we're bringing everyone together, that, hey, have I not heard from somebody? Let's follow up with them. You really are trying to create that culture in a hybrid environment. And it is challenging, but it has to be prioritized from the top from the middle and from the from the bottom, right? Because you can't just do it one way or the other. But they have to have buy-in as well. And I think Anna Maria, you bring up a really interesting point. It's not just the the people coming out of college or starting their first job. There's also a whole leadership level that's now missed three years of opportunities of the mentorship. Um, and so, leading a team virtually is very different than leading a team collaboratively. You know where you're. You're eyeball to eyeball, and right. you're seeing those people. But likewise, the challenge in hiring the right people, because if you've moved from what you have a traditional office environment, and you're seeing these people day to day, and you're shaking their hands and passing them paperwork and seeing them in the hallway, that skill set's very different when you're home at your kitchen table. And so how do you 
you know, reprogram your interview questions to make sure that you're finding those people that are self-motivated, that can work independently. And that's a real challenge in an environment where you're wanting to be creative and you're bouncing thoughts off of, you know, off the wall and using post-it stickies. It doesn't work the same. Larry, based on what we heard earlier about all your clients that are seeking less space, and that means a lot of these buildings are emptying out, what does that mean for the landlord who is financing with interest rates what they are right now? I'm assuming they can't go back and refinance because A, interest rates are too high, and B, lenders are watching the trend and are not going to want to refinance at, at any rate. Man, that's, um, we are dead smack in the middle of that as we speak. Uh, this started to rear its head about eight months to a year ago, and I think it's going to be a big topic for the next 24 to 36 months. So what happens is, um, you know, people think that you see an office building, it's a beautiful building, so it must be worth X. Well, the value in the building comes from the NOI, net operating income, which is basically the income of rent on a cap rate. Right. And they capitalize that, and that kind of creates a value. Well, um, because of the trends in the, in, in the way the workforce is utilizing office space, the office market across the board has lost about 20% of its value, no matter what the occupancy was. Just whatever, wherever you were, they just erased 20% off the value, 20% of the equity, you, you know, as you, you look at this in a different manner. And so uh, when your note is due, um, now you're going to be faced with a decision. And in a lot of cases, these guys are upside down. In a lot of cases, they're Which leaves to, them few options. Well, exactly. So what it, it tells, the, you know, what, the, what happens is they're going to have to come to the table with a check, uh, and usually a large one. So they have to make a decision. Am I going to double down into this market knowing what I know? And, and and seeing what's coming, or do I just simply hand the keys back to the bank? And because um, that's an option. As a country, we've been down that road before, and it's not a pretty picture. It's not a pretty picture, and I think our 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 banks learned from it. They don't want the keys either, and and but you know there there are terms, and and you you just can't you can't make someone come to the table, write a check, and refinance a building. So in a lot of cases, these, these institutions are going to be left with an asset that they're going to have to manage. And so it's kind of creating a – not creating, because this uh, special servicers have always been around, but you're going to see so much more of it in the, in the, in the near future where um, banks would hire a third party to oversee the leasing and the management – um, to create the value in hopes to get the building to a point where it can sell. But what complicates things is the interest rates are at, a, at such a point where it, it just it, – and then the one thing that we hadn't discussed is construction prices. Construction prices have gone up between 20 and 25% per annum per year for the last three to five years. So – what used to cost $70 a square foot and you have a class A office finish is pushing 190 to $200 a square foot now. And what that does is it absolutely blows the budget. 
And and so uh, you're you're seeing um, it, it is almost impossible for somebody to build nowadays. It's almost impossible for a new product. So who are all the the ripple effect victims, for lack of a better phrase? Um, you know, if people aren't moving into office space, that means finish out is not happening, which means drywallers, construction people, um, the custodial uh, company that contracts within that building. Who, who are all the people that are impacted by those? This? Are some that's a good place to start. Uh, then you take a look at uh, carpet vendors, furniture vendors. If there's less people coming to the office, there'll be less furniture. There'll be less computers. There'll be less computer wires. So everything across the board is affected. So on the, on the national level, we're seeing, especially like New York, East Coast, West Coast, but I'm going to just use New York as an example. You have some buildings that are 100 years old or older that are ideal for converting to condos yes. because of their size. Right. Then more modern buildings can't because then you'd have a suite of condos in the middle with no windows or no no skylight or no light of any kind. That's more, I think, would you agree, East Coast, West Coast, major metropolitan area? And yeah, it, 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 some of that exists here. I mean, look at- uh, you Tower know, Life building. Tower Life is one that has been converted. But if you just keep going back, uh, the you know, where the Wyndham Hotel is right now, before that was an office building. Um, so uh, I would say buildings that are newer than 85, mid-80s are going to be uh, – they were designed differently. They used the, the floor plates differently. It was all about density. It was about getting as many people into a, a space and be able to basically minimize their occupancy costs. So you had large bay depths, and, and that's what the office tenant wanted for decades – but that is almost impossible to convert, uh, you know, to either a hotel or or any kind of a multifamily situation. So there there are not a lot of ideal candidates. So what's going to happen? So if you take a look at this right now, it, let's just follow what we were been discussing. So if I'm a fifty thousand square foot tenant, and now I only need twenty, right? And at fifty thousand. Uh, well, let's call it 25 for my okay. easy math. math. Yeah. So it, if, if they were 50000 and their rent was $250,000, uh, now they're twenty five, and, and, you know, and they're in a, a decent B-plus, B-minus asset somewhere along Loop 410. And now they've shrank 60%, and now... They can, you know, if you're taking a look at monthly dollars spent, you take that same uh, dollar amount and spread it over 30,000 feet or 20,000 feet, and now you can afford to be in some of the best office space in the entire city where, and this is what they're doing, they're, they're, it's a flight to quality where they will now office in an office building that has all the amenities that we were talking about in neighborhoods and in locations that they want to be in for the main reason of retention and attracting employees. And so what's going to get left out are the old 70s and 80s, just junky real estate that exists in 
every city in our country. And, and, and I, well, we're never going to, they'll never get full. They'll never be full again. Obviously, this is going to have a huge ripple effect. Leanne, what does the Office of the Future look like based on what you see on how employees are responding, how employers are responding, what you just heard Larry mention as far as, you know, what what's happening in the in the office market? I think based on the industry, you'll see different things. So in an industry, banking, perhaps, where you have confidentiality, you have you have certain um, protocols for security and safety, right? You're going to see those offices really. What, what what did you call that? A flight to quality. Yep. I yeah. love that. I'm going to use that and steal it. You can um, have it. Thank you. Banking. You're going to see um, consulting firms that you know work with lawyers or industries that have trade secrets, right? Those those organizations are probably going to remain in office or some variation of a of a hybrid model, maybe a 2-3 model or a 1-4 model. But other industries where it makes sense, where it's feasible and they've you know sort of worked through the mechanics. Yeah, I think I think that there will be a real shakeup where the offices aren't full. I mean, we we see it in our building, we see it with our clients and and what's really interesting is in our business in HR we have, you know, we have keys to the kingdom for a lot of companies. And we say, oh, you know, that's that's great. Tell us your secrets. We'll, you know, we'll protect them at all costs. A lot of those businesses gave away their office space. They they left the buildings. They took their employees remote and they're coming back and saying, hey, Leanne, can we can we borrow your conference room? Can we rent out your space for a day to have a retreat? Can we use your training facility? And so it was a different sort of model for us to think that our space was now a space to um, engage with our clients in a very different way. And we've used our 3,000 square feet in a very different way in the last three years. I, I saw a video on the Wall Street Journal that um, Hollywood is using a lot of the vacant office building space in New York City uh, for moving making because there's nobody in there and there's already offices. And um, so it's a, a little bit of creativity to this. So, Ana Maria, where does that leave you with your transition to smaller space? You you mentioned you're growing. When you mo- moved, you signed a short-term lease, correct? I did. Uh, we had the option to go month to month or a year. So I took the option of a year because I felt like that was reasonable. And now I'm at the end of the year thinking, oh, my gosh, I'm going to have to move again. <laughs> I just moved a year ago. Um, and now I have to look at furniture. Um, But also, I think, not I think, what we have to also look at is to ensure that our team members are also set up in their home offices with everything that they need um, to thrive just as much as they are in an office. So those are things that you have to look at too. So I've given laptops, screens, furniture from the old building to ensure that they're that they have what they need to be as productive as possible. So I have to look at the two things. Are they set up at home as they need to, and then provide the office environment for when they're in to have that same collaboration space. Um, So what does the future look like for me as I grow? We are looking at that to ensure that I have at least a three-year vision to that while I plan for that, because now I'm going to be locked into a lease, and I don't have the ability to look at a year by year, which is good. Or bad, depending on which way you look at that. We'll talk later. We'll talk later, right? <laughs> so we're we're trying to build that out. Um, what I do know is that our team does not want to be in the office every day. We ask them that periodically. 
I don't want to be in the office every day. Um, so we are looking at what works best. And to your point, it's going to change. Um, and we'll, we will evolve and we will pivot. Um, they will have a say in that conversation and we'll be ready to be flexible. If there's anything that we learned is be ready for what you're not ready for. And so we test things, we look at things, and we'll change it as we need to and evolve. Leanne, I'm assuming you see a lot of this. Be ready to pivot, be ready to adapt, um, because we're, we remain in an ever-changing environment, office environment. I think flexibility is really the key and understanding that there are exceptions. There's, there's no hard and fast rule anymore necessarily about how people work or when they come to work or when they do the work, right? The 1 a.m. emails from Anna Maria is perfect case, right? And so just having um, employers trust their employees that they're doing the right thing, but also making sure that employers set those boundaries and expectations of what they need to be doing, because that's that's the disconnect that we see is I, they should know that they need to be doing this. And have you told them? Do they really know? Are you really clear about what those expectations are? And so we we do a lot of work on what does a remote policy or a hybrid policy really look like? And that cuts down on so much of the nonsense. You had a conversation with your daughter about being visible. No, that's exactly right. She's like, well, Dad, I don't have to go. I'm like, that's not the point. You go. You're 21 years old, right out of college, and there is some incredible leadership and some, some very smart people there that she can learn from. Why would you be at home in your bed on your computer when you could be at work? Well, none of my team's there. Is your boss there? Yeah. <laughs> Then that's why you need to be there. Then that, yeah, that's where you need to be. Leanne, I, go ahead. I was going to say, I think the, the, the next evolution of this is the, the land of missed opportunity. Uh, yeah. Right? Absolutely. If, if, you're not, if your boss is there, it behooves you to be there because then you have visibility and it's top of mind. And those opportunities really do fall out of the sky. The phone rings and, hey, I need somebody to work on this right now. It's a high priority. It's for a you know high, high profile client. Like, go. If you're not there, it's not going to happen for you. That's the truth. Closing thoughts. Ana Maria, what do you see in the, the next year or two ahead for your firm and your office needs? Uh, managing growth uh, in the right space and providing that collaborative, integrated atmosphere, whether it's at home or whether it's in the office. I, I want to create office for whatever that means. So being able to bring that together in a way that works for everyone in their own needs and desires within an office space. It'll be interesting to see what conversation we're having next year or in three years to see how that changes. But um, to your point, it could be different. And so change is going to be change, and I'm looking forward to it. I've, I've enjoyed it. The flexibility that it's created, not only for me, but for my team and what it does for our clients, we've, we're thriving in it. Leanne, what, what are your clients telling you or what do you, what do you foresee in the next few years, three to five years? I think uh, for us, it's really encouraging employers and employees to keep open minds, open ears, um, and remaining flexible and sort of really leaning into the, the difference with um, the changing environments and, and keeping those conversations 
open, um, but at the same time, being clear about the expectations, because that's the, that's the biggest hurdle right now is, is employees go to work, they want to do a good job. I think for the most part, employees want to do a good job, but employers have to be uh, communicative. They need to be able to share what those expectations are, what the deliverables are, so that people understand why they're there and what that purpose is. We upgraded to a, a full-serve latte machine. We have a massage chair. We have yoga uh, mats. We do all those things. Even as a small business in a small space, we can be creative in what we offer our employees. Then why did we not do this podcast recording session at your Same office? Same question I'm asking I myself I have no right idea why we did not do this at my office. Larry, final thoughts three to five years from now. What do you, what do you see? Um, I just see an, it's an, it's an evolution, it's just an evolution. And, uh, you know, I see technology impacting the way people work, labor markets. Um, there's all sorts of outside influences that that basically identify what the path is going to look like moving forward. One thing that I did do is I made a conscious decision after 20 plus years of being in uh, the predominant. I used to be the landlord guy. I used to represent the people who owned Class A office space, and I had uh, almost 3 million square feet of office buildings I represented here in San Antonio. I made a conscious decision when I, when I switched and joined CBRE to get out of the landlord business because I, from what I see, and what I see is I see the tenants need to speak to consultants about the options ahead of them is big. And, and you know, Anne-Marie, I'm listening to you. You're saying, well, what if I, if I could do this and if I can do that? Well, yeah, you can. There are things that you can do, but you have to consult a professional who does this. Now, of course, I'd want everybody to call me, but like I was telling you all earlier, it, it, just get help. As a business owner, you need to hire and a well-seasoned and, and, and tried-and-true real estate professional that specializes in office product. Because right now there are concessions, there, there are things that landlords are giving and, and that are available to you, even if you're locked into a lease, that you didn't think that were even, even available or on the table. And it's an important time to engage someone like, like myself to help you through those decisions. So moving forward, I see, again, a a more consultative role with business owners as it pertains to real estate. In a lot of cases, in in the last 20-some-odd years, it it, it wasn't that – there wasn't much difference. And and so there wasn't a heck of a lot of of value you saw a, a representative would bring to the table for you. I will agree with that. And I've learned through this process in the last year and a half is going to the experts. You know, I say come to the marketing experts, come to talk strategy for the marketing (laughs) experts. But I agree with you in terms of talking to the experts because you don't know what you don't know. Absolutely. And I've learned that a lot, especially right now in this environment to help where can I most benefit for my team. I've also talked to Leanne about that cross state line hybrid situation when you are looking at employees outside. I've learned so much. I didn't know what I didn't know. So highly recommend in this new environment, learn what you don't know, because it is interesting to find out what you don't know in this hybrid world that you need to understand for those in the office, for those out of the office, and from a business standpoint. So 
highly recommend that too. Yeah, it's, uh, you know, next to employees, real estate is usually employees in real estate are number one and number two line items on costs for businesses. And, and they're, they're not small numbers. They're big numbers. And right now the market has shifted and is continuing to shift. And I don't see an end, you know, 24 to 36 months. I see it hopefully, a, you know, it firming up, but it, it will take at least that long to be able to kind of shift to the next environment. Uh, I think we're going to be in this environment for some time. And uh, there, is, there are flexibilities that, that, that can be available. Uh, but really, the most important thing is, you know, when you go sign a lease, the, the landlord wants to talk about your security deposit. Landlord wants to talk about your credit history. Well, how about his? Right now, we are in that world. Nobody is going to tell you. I mean, they, you see this big, beautiful building, but he's not going to tell you that he's 18 months away from crashing and burning and having this building is going to have to go back to a special servicer. So what does that mean to my services here? You said you were going to do X. Well, you may not even be here. And oh, by the way, we signed a $100 tenant improvement package on a 20,000 square foot deal, which is a couple million bucks. So where's that money, by the way? Is that, you know, is that escrowed? Where's that money coming from? You're describing the upside down in Stranger Things. That's what this is. It, it's it, exactly. It's when the tenants are going to have to look at the financial health of the landlord. And we are there. On a Mighty S. Weskin Fast, Leanne King, Larry Mendez, uh, this is a great conversation. And I want to have the three of you back maybe six months from now so we can see. You, you talked, Ana Maria, you talked about, you know, let's see what it looks like a few years from now. I'll be curious to see what it looks like six months from now. I hope it doesn't change in six months because I'm just now trying to get my next year and the next two years, but it'll be interesting to see what the next year looks like. And we'll record the next one in Leanne's office. Deal. Okay. <laughs> Thank you all for joining. Thank, Thank you, so Eddie, much. for having us. This podcast is a production of Aldretta Strategic Partners and is edited by Nick Chamberlain of Every Word Media. It was recorded in a studio at Lano Realty Partners. For more information, go to lanorealty.com. We hope you've enjoyed our podcast episodes. And if you have a comment, feedback, or an idea for an upcoming episode, drop us a line at beyondthebitea at gmail.com, or you can find us on Twitter with the handle at beyondthebitea. As always, we thank you for listening.